I've worked with two organizations that have very similar scope. Large national organizations, both involved in early childhood literacy. So found this individual, a multi-billion dollar prospect. I presented both of those organizations with the same name and contact information. One of the gift officers for Organization A said, we don't know them, they will never give to us, and I don't know how to get in front of them, and I'm just not going to. Give me someone else. The gift officer at Organization B said, this is amazing. We're gonna challenge ourselves to get in front of this person. They sent an email. They got a response from the donor himself. And within a few months, they were talking about a $300,000 introductory gift. Welcome to the Abundant Vision Fundraising Podcast. Whether you are a seasoned professional or a first-time fundraiser, we have the advice you need to take your next step toward major gift mastery. I'm your host, Tom Dauber, president of Abundant Vision Philanthropic Consulting. Today, I'm pleased uh, to be joined by my old colleague and friend, Regina Al-Hassan. Uh, Regina and I spent some time together at Ohio State. Uh, seems to be a, a pattern there with a lot of my interviewees here uh, lately, but uh, but Regina has a great career as a, uh, a prospect research consultant presently with her company, Research Pro. Thank you for joining us today, Regina. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation and happy to be here. Hey, you are so, so welcome. Before we dive into professional talk, tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? What did you do with your time? What, what do you do with your time when you aren't working? Uh, when I'm not working and when I'm not finding donors for million dollar giving campaigns, uh, I spend a lot of time with my family. I love to meditate. I have uh, over the last few years, actually, but more, more consistently in the last couple of years, um, really leaned into yoga and meditation. I'm on this whole movement kick right now. So uh, hiking, uh, you know, yes, anything I could do outside. It's cold here. It's getting cold here in Ohio now. Um, but anything that gets me outside and gets me moving and in touch with nature, I feel really excited about. How did you get into the nonprofit world? Yeah, so right out of undergrad. So like most gift officers, most fundraisers, I fell into fundraising. Um, right out of undergrad, I needed a job. <laughs> And I thought, well, what what can I do? Um, and at OSU, the College of Food, Agricultural and Environmental Sciences had this job posting for a program assistant. It's like, well, I don't really know what that means in general, but I thought I could do the job. I applied. I got the job. Um, and I'm not a, a, an agricultural. Uh, I don't have an agricultural background whatsoever. Uh, incredibly urban, born and raised <laughs> in Columbus, Ohio, as urban as that gets. Um, sure. But just that definitely was not my background. But once I got into the college and started working there in the development office, it was as if I was home. Um, oh, wow. It was really that sort of light bulb moment in, in a professional way, um, professionally speaking, like, oh, this is why 
ahead of scholarship with someone's name. This is why the engineering building was named after, you know, this person. This is why all the rooms had people's names on them. Um, and it was just really a sort of a uh, really illuminating and this, this idea of, oh, this is how I can impact the world. This is how I can be a change maker. And so it was um, certainly not something, not a place that I expected to land <laughs> after undergrad with a history degree. Um, right. It was like exactly where I needed to land. Um, it certainly has shaped uh, the course of my career. Now you've you've been a number of different places. Mm -hmm. uh, the Urban League. I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile right mm -hmm. now. The Historical Society. Um, I, I see a number of different things here, and and I know you know. So you've done you've done memberships. You've you've done stewardship. You've done lots of of different sorts of things. What what made you think with that first research consulting role that 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 was the thing you wanted to do? Yeah, so I love nonprofits and I love philanthropy in general. So I really enjoyed fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, but it was being on the front line, a front line major gift officer seemed like a lot of pressure when I was a younger professional. So sure. I wasn't really interested in that. But I loved membership because I loved the engagement. I loved the the engagement, the the relationship management and being sort of the go-to, the contact person for the organization. I love planning and program management. Um, it feels like another life. But at that time, I also really enjoyed event planning. Um, yes. So membership, um, alumni, volunteer engagement, all of that made sense. But once I got into research, it was just this, it really spoke to the the introvert. <laughs> I am. You know, it is a really good profession for introverts, isn't it? It can be. And so it's interesting because we describe ourselves as introverts, but when we're all together, get us together, you know, and even me, like as a CEO, it's not, um, the, it's, it's not a space to be introverted, you know? Um, and when we're all together, we are extremely extroverted all with each other, but it certainly spoke to that, the historian in me, you know, yeah. the researcher, that innate wow. researcher in me. So again, I have a degree in history. Um, and so <laughs> it certainly spoke to that. Uh, and allowed that allowed me to sort of live in that truth. Um, wow, so. I you know I never would have connected that, but you're right because a lot of what you're doing, I'm sure, is looking at institutional history and and drawing conclusions from what you discover. Absolutely. So oftentimes it's not so much institutional. We're looking at individuals, but mm -hmm. yes, we are looking at information. We are turning information into insights. Um, mm -hmm. there, the analysis is there. The hypothesis is there. You know, the strategy is there. And so for me, it was just sort of this perfect marriage of the strategy, the thoughtfulness, the, the quiet work, um, the analytical work. And being able to spend my time doing that uh, and still be part of a, a powerhouse and impactful fundraising team. That's right. Now, something you mentioned before, I we, we kind of moved on, but I want to jump back to it real quick. You talked about 
you know, the scholarships you got. And then and, and you didn't realize, uh, I, I had that same experience and I, and I've, and I've always felt so terrible about it because I, I got this fantastic scholarship uh, my freshman year at Bowling Green State University. It's like like a half tuition scholarship uh, from uh, from Bowling Green State University's Columbus alumni chapter. And I didn't understand what it was I had gotten. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I saw it and I could connect it, but I didn't understand that there were like a group of people like in my community that thought I was a good guy and wanted to, to pay for part of my tuition um, that I, I should send a thank you letter to. Like I had no clue. And as I came to realize that, I always felt really bad. I'm like, oh man, I'm one of those, I'm one of those recipients that didn't say thank you. This kind of, this is a bummer, right? Yes. We'll blame it on your youth. Because uh, I certainly, I recall writing thank you letters but still not really understanding and appreciating. It was just something that the instructor said we have to do. And so we're going to do it. And I got to write a letter to someone that I don't even know. Um, So you do it, but I still didn't really have a a deep appreciation of exactly what was going on uh, as far as the philanthropy and the relationship management and what that means for the institution. Yeah. Well, and you know what? I've found that because I, you know, we've got lots of people listening to us. Many of them have never worked with a prospect researcher before. They've never had someone with with your services. And so, part of my goal in doing these interviews is to a help them learn what resources are out there, but b get a few tips and tricks because maybe maybe they can't afford a consultant, but maybe they still need to do the work. Right? I'll tell you, a great space to find donors is to look at your former beneficiaries, to look at people like me, right? People like you that have received scholarships and to go back to them and and to, to find out what that scholarship meant to them, really even in stewardship mode. Well, all of a sudden you find yourself in a relationship with somebody uh, who appreciates something that they've gotten from your organization. They appreciate the impact of philanthropy. Um, and uh, maybe they're in a place where they can make their own donation. We'll throw that one out there for free for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, your best donors are already in your database, uh, you know, so that I have a whole workshop. <laughs> I'll bet <laughs> you do. <laughs> so absolutely. And that is the place to start, especially if you are prospecting from scratch or if you feel like you just don't have um, the budget to invest mm. in, yeah. uh, in, in, you know, in deep, deep prospect development. Hi there, listeners. Tom Dauber here reminding you that spring is just around the corner. Many of your biggest donors will be returning home from their winter homes and settling in for a few months. This is the perfect time to begin the conversations that will lead to the next major gift for your organization. It is also the perfect time to brush up on all the skills you need to build rapport, develop relationships, and make a direct solicitation of your donor. I cover all of these topics and more in my online class, Abundant Vision Academy. Head over to thomas-dauber-s-school.teachable.com. The link is in the show description. Now, back to the episode. So, Regina, you've obviously worked with a lot of people doing direct fundraising over the years. 
Do you have any good stories that you could share that really illustrate how such a partnership should work? Absolutely. So there's a story I like to call the tale of two fundraisers. Um, And so (laughs) I, I once worked, and this has been recently, within the last two years, I worked with two organizations that have very similar scope, similar size and scope. Um, they're both national organizations with affiliate offices across the country, uh, and each of those affiliates sort of operates on their own, although they're part of the centralized system. Um, so large national organizations, both involved in early childhood literacy. Uh, and so as a prospect development professional, the partnership I had with them, part of it was to help them find prospects, help them find new prospects outside of their database. And so I did that work um, and discovered um, a, a, a longer list, but I'll focus on one particular prospect, a multi-billion dollar prospect um, who is not from the United States. I think he was Greek by um, his country of origin was Greece, uh, but he gives all over the world uh, and has um, has a foundation here in the United States. So found this individual, they support early childhood literacy, they support youth development, you know, they support programs like what these two organizations offer. I presented both of those organizations with the same name and contact information. One of the gift officers for organization A said, we don't know them, they will never give to us, and I don't know how to get in front of them and I'm just not going to. Give me someone else. Hmm. Give me, I'm moving on to the next name. The gift officer at organization B said, this is amazing. We're going to challenge ourselves to get in front of this person. They sent an email to the generic email address that I provided them, the generic right. foundation address. Not only did they get a response from the foundation, they got a response from the donor himself. Wow. This billion dollar guy (laughs) that has multiple homes across the world, you know, he responded directly and put them in touch and did an introduction email to the foundation gift, you know, the foundation executive that manages you know, the day-to-day operations of the foundation, as well as the uh, foundation program officer. And within a few months, they were talking about a $300,000 $300, introductory gift. Introductory. Yes. So that they could get to know each other. Wow, that's a that's a great story, Regina. So that's to me like the power of prospect development. We can be very strategic about finding people and institutions that can support your organization, but you have to believe it. You have to believe it, you have to be willing to activate it, and you have to be willing to act on it. Yeah, wow. Uh, that story is so powerful and it, it really does illustrate that, you know, you, you miss every shot you don't take, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And so that really also, for me, underscores the value of prospect development. Many organizations will say, we just can't invest in that. But you're missing out. (laughs) You're missing out on so many opportunities when you don't. Um, And so that, I love telling that story. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing success story for the organization that continue forward to develop that relationship. That's wonderful. Any, any other stories that we can learn from? <laughs> oh, I have countless stories, Tom. <laughs> I'll bet you do. Bring them. Oh, there's one story. The, the power of kindness, I'll say. When I was first started out in fundraising at the College of Ag, Food, Ag, and Environmental Sciences, mm-hmm. uh, there was a donor that was, they, they ended up, they were having an issue with one of their horses. Um, mm-hmm. And so they were bringing their, their horse to the, the vet med college for help, et cetera. Um, and so through that process, I had a conversation with the the woman that owned the horse. And to be honest, I don't remember the conversation. Hmm. I don't remember what we may have talked about back in the late 90s, in the early 2000s. (laughs) But what I do remember and what I kept for a long time was the thank you note that she included with her donation, the next donation Mm. she sent in. And she referenced the conversation and how meaningful it was for her at the time and how important and and uplifting it was for her and encouraging when her horse was going through the equine facility and being treated. Right. And it was just, so again, I don't remember the conversation, but she did and it impacted her enough that she decided to make a donation to the college, to this particular department and include ref, you know, a direct note to me. Like Regina, I want to thank you for being kind to me <laughs> during this difficult time. Um, and so it's really just that power of kindness. I think that as gift officers, as professional fundraisers, we focus a lot on the gift. Mm-hmm. We focus a lot on who can do a million. I need a million dollars in my pipeline, you know, and we get caught up in the numbers. But then I, that particular story, I keep with me. I still have that note card, actually, to be honest. Because it reminds me of the power of relationships and kindness in the moment. The power of relationships and kindness in the moment. That is the essence of philanthropy. I can't think of a better point to end on than that. Join us next week when Regina shares with us about her experience as a woman of color in the advancement profession and how she transitioned from being an employee into an entrepreneur. As always, I'm your host, Tom Dobber. Thank you for joining me as we journey together toward major gift mastery on the Abundant Vision Fundraising Podcast.